We don't have an answer other than praise be to God. So, the Lord's Supper, it's the second ordinance that was directly given by Christ. Not only in the Gospels did Christ tell the apostles to practice it, to continue to do these things. In remembrance of him in Luke 22, he also told Paul through a revelation to continue it, to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes in 1 Corinthians 11. Just like baptism, the Lord's Supper is also a means of grace. And you may be thinking, why do we always have to go over this? We've done this so many times. I know all about this. Can we just get on? Get on with it. Move on. But communion is for our spiritual nourishment. And if communion was celebrated without the feeding on God's word, it would become an empty appetizer. It would be strange if we just handed out the elements at the door there and you could stop and eat the wafer and drink the juice and toss the container in the trash and not mention anything about what we're attempting to do. Communion and baptism, for that matter, must be accompanied by the word. Remember when you were a kid, when your folks would tell you to do things, the same things over and over and over again? Don't forget to brush your teeth. Look both ways before you cross the street. And the other weird one is mom's always told the boys to wash behind their ears all the time. I never heard my sisters be told that. But uh, anyways, there was more than one reason your folks told you to do things over and over again. It was to make sure you were taken care of, to keep you healthy and out of harm's way. Don't forget this. Don't forget that. And there's a reason Christ told his apostles and us to continue in remembering. We need to be constantly reminded to do the things that keep us spiritually nourished. And that happens through the receiving of the Lord's Supper. It induces growth in the grace and knowledge of him through the faithful attention that we give to it each time. We are nourished by the feeding on Christ's body and blood in a spiritual sense, and yet actually in a mystical sense. And as we've said before, he is here in the midst of us. And when we meet him at the Lord's Supper, we are communing with him. By faith, we receive and apply to ourselves Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death. And we acknowledge the saving qualities we possess since we are his possessions by not forgetting what he has done in our place. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And I just wanted to read this portion, but before we go over the scriptures that we're, we're very familiar with when we partake of the Lord's Supper. It says, whoever therefore, given what was just said, this is Paul speaking, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. 
Paul is warning those in the church of Corinth of the danger of participating in the Lord's Supper with the wrong mindset. How is participation in the Lord's Supper done in error? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is someone who doesn't know or even want to know Jesus. This is a serious matter. And while it may seem harmless to place a little wafer in your mouth and take a sip of some juice and go about your jolly way, it may not be evident immediately, today or next week or a year from now. But if a person continues to do this, that last part of verse 27, which we just, we, we just read, it says, you will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. It's like being right there with the Roman soldiers participating in the mockery and mistreatment inflicted on Christ. It's bringing judgment upon yourself. So please, if you're here today and intend to take the elements just so you don't look any different than from those around you, don't be worried about what other people are doing around you. It's okay. It's actually better to not partake and to just set that cup on the floor, set it aside, put it in the seat underneath there. But don't do it in an unworthy manner. If you don't know what you're doing, please don't partake. But there is still an opportunity for someone like that to come to the Lord, and that could even happen today. There isn't anything magical in the elements that we partake of. There isn't any salvation found in them. It's only a sign. They point to the reality of a regenerated person, but they are not the realities themselves, those elements. It says, let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And the unworthy manner mentioned can be done when we come to the Lord's table with the wrong attitude toward the Lord and toward his word. And it's common for people to go through the motions of the Lord's Supper in a ritualistic, light manner without engaging our minds, void as to even what we are doing, thinking that we're crossing T's and dotting I's to keep our reputation intact and to maintain our salvation. Actually, we should be approaching it with our minds full, full of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, reflecting on the interactive work that was done in order to redeem us. The whole Godhead had a part in the redemption of the church. And I think if we're honest, we've all been guilty of this at some point or another. I know I'm an offender, but it's just like prayer. It's hard work. It's hard to keep the stray thoughts and distractions at bay while trying to stay on task. It's very helpful to establish the correct attitude before we even get here. It's this thing we call preparation. And someone may come to the table with bitterness toward another believer or some sin in their life that they refuse to repent of. Matthew 5, 23 through 25 says, in Christ's Sermon on the Mount, he explains what we are to do. It says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And even though gifts aren't offered at the altar any longer, metaphorically they are, and we're to be reconciled to our fellow believers if any bitterness is being held in our hearts towards someone else. 
And again, we get caught up in thinking what others think about us. But wouldn't it be of encouragement during the Lord's Supper to have someone refrain from partaking in an unworthy manner because they remembered someone, they're holding something against them, or they know someone who has something against them. That would be evidence that the Lord is working in the heart of a brother of or sister's. It would be like placing salve on the wound of the body. And the neat thing is, we probably wouldn't even be privy to the healing that's taken place inside the heart of that person. It can't be seen. But we would see the effects of it. It's never too late to act on the things the Holy Spirit brings to our mind as long as we act. This is the reason we're to take this internal inventory, a private, personal scrutiny, and to reconcile the imbalances that are within us. Are there days that we really do mess up? Are we really that imperfect? For sure. But remember, we stand in the righteousness of Christ. Do our prayers seem weak and a bit self-indulged at times? Yeah, but remember, we have an intercessor who knows to pray perfectly on our behalf. Have we come to the table in an unworthy manner before? Probably. But it doesn't disqualify us. We in and of ourselves are unworthy, but in him we are held blameless and spotless. And the Father longs for us to know that we are clean. And there is a cure for these things by giving thought to what we are and who we should be. Points us to 1 John 1.9. If we confess our wrong attitudes and motives, God is eager and faithful to forgive us. And while we recognize our shortcomings, it's also comforting to understand the cleansing from sin that Christ converted us with, his precious blood. And the Lord's table becomes the atmosphere for where the church is purified. And it's invaluable to the health of the church if it is used in a proper manner. And then these familiar verses that we read, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, For I received from the Lord that what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And because of the order in which our Bibles are printed, you may not realize this scripture was writ probably written before the other accounts of the Gospels. Paul didn't get this information from the other apostles, or he didn't get it from their writings. It is just as it said. He received it from the Lord through revelation. And if it really was written before the other accounts, that means this scripture is probably the first biblical account of Christ instituting the Lord's Supper, which means Paul's account matches perfectly with the other Gospels, even though he wasn't there in person with them. Paul is writing an accurate historical account referring to the night when Christ was betrayed. And that's something that the recipients of this letter in Corinth, the church in Corinth may have heard for the first time. 
taking them back to that very moment when Christ was betrayed just after the Last Supper. It's also worth noting this section of 1 Corinthians 11 is in the middle of a harsh rebuke. Paul is calling them out on the carpet for their worldly, carnal, selfish attitudes and behavior in the church. And he's also condemning the actual tainting that they have done to the Lord's Supper. He is so elegantly describing. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup. And this is a question that we hear often. How often are we supposed to do the Lord's Supper? How often are we supposed to observe communion? When we've done communion here once a month for as long as I can remember, and we've asked, been asked by some, why don't we do it every week, every time we're gathered? And I guess the best answer is we don't want it to become routine. It seems we could get into a habit of it and not give it the special attention needed in order to maintain the sacredness of it. And communion, unlike baptism, is to be repeated over and over again. Many years ago, I was approached by a co-worker who belonged to, we'll say, a church who would often challenge me in theological matters as we were on opposite ends of the spectrum when it came to the deity of Christ, Trinity, how many people were going to make it into heaven. You get the picture. It really surprised me one time. He invited me to come to a regional celebration where all of their local churches would gather for a week-long conference. And I think at that time, they would uh, meet down at NIC campus. And he handed me this formal invitation. It was a piece of paper. It was a really nice card to join them for communion celebration at one point during the week. It was a -a once-a-year celebration that they had. I told him, just... Not even in arguing, I just told him, well, we celebrate communion once a month at our church. And he looked at me and asked, why would you celebrate it once a month? Christ didn't die on the cross once a month. And I said, well, Christ didn't die on the cross once a year either. (laughs) And, you know, and I don't share that with you to make fun of that guy. But to make a point, there aren't any specific instructions as to how often to make a practice of it. All we do know is as long as we are still here on this earth, we are to remember and proclaim it until he comes. It's a reminder that he is coming again. It keeps, it, it keeps us in front of it. It keeps that reunion with Christ in front of us. It's in our view all the time. It's future reunion with the church. And it also keeps us our view of us to the world, our testimony to them. Friends, we must remember that the precious blood of Christ and what that did for his people, it possesses a redeeming power. He paid the ransom price. We weren't able to pay ourselves. We were ransomed with it by him, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. He covered our blemishes. Without it, There's no hope of any pardon. Our sin had to be punished by God. His wrath had to be satisfied. He required the shedding of blood in order to do that. And we have not the ability to do it. But Christ did. Through that blood, there isn't a stain left on any believer. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, They shall be like wool. 
There is a preservation power in it. It keeps us in him. We were sanctified by it. We were justified through it. Praise God for the privilege we have now to come and celebrate it. We're going to step in here. and uh, I, Before we get into this, I just want to make sure, did everybody get the elements before we partake the communion? If you didn't, just raise your hand. We try catching everyone when you come in, but it's kind of hard sometimes. So while reflecting on the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord, let's just take a few minutes to look at our heart condition. Is it in the proper condition for taking the sacraments? If so, give him all the praise and glory. And if not, take care of it and then give him all the praise and the glory. don't always come to us when we're thinking through these things trying to understand the magnitude of what you did on our behalf but we thank you for it and we praise you for it we thank you for taking the blows on our behalf thank you for the blood that was shed on our behalf there wasn't one drop of that blood that was spilt it was wasted. It was complete. And now we thank you for the opportunity to commemorate that. In Jesus' name, amen. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death 